Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and a series that is reminding us of all the power of youthful voices. It's been a joy to share with you these incredible young women, and today's guest is a very special experience for me to share with you. Callie Nelson is a fifth grade teacher in North Central Minnesota, where she serves students with passion and deep purpose. Callie is a 2018 graduate of Winona State University in Minnesota, where she discovered her passion for teaching and a love of math specifically. She is a loving partner, recent puppy owner, exceptional sister and daughter, and forever lover of music, theater, and dance. In this episode, we discuss Callie's journey into becoming an educator, her experiences as a teacher during COVID-19, her thoughts on the future, and potential aspirations. Friends, without giving it away ahead of time, I want you to know that Callie is exceptionally special to me, and you'll hear about our connection in this episode. I have long been inspired by this young woman, deeply proud of the huge heart she uses every single day to impact others, and in awe of her kind presence in this world. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation, and am deeply honored to share with you Callie Nelson's youthful voice. Welcome, Miss Callie Nelson, to the In Awe Podcast. This is the best day of my life that I get to interview you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So before we launch in too much, I want to make sure that listeners get a chance to hear from you about your current context. Where are you in this world and what are you up to? So currently I am actually working at a elementary school in Minnesota and I'm teaching fifth grade right now. This year we decided to teach all the subjects. So we're learning all the things this year with COVID and um, recently I have gra- I had graduated from Winona State University about two years ago now. So you're you're in your second year of teaching. Yes, it is my second year. I I keep calling it my third year because I feel like I um you know my student teaching was at the beginning of a school year, and then I long term subbed like that whole end of the school year. So I keep calling it my third year, but it's it's my second. <laughs> Oh, girlfriend, it is your third year. And you know what? I am so glad that you got to take that path because I think it's the path that really builds strong teachers to have to, you know, graduate mid-year and then do subbing. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it was the best thing for me and I would not change it at all. Awesome. So I'm a little bit, well, I'm totally biased in this interview. Listeners, I need you to know that right off the bat. One, I'm biased with that one because I graduated in December and spent months, you know, subbing in every classroom possible from FIED to, you know, special education, self-contained classrooms to, you know, you name it and long-term subbing. I would say, Hey, I taught science once for six weeks. I was really good at it. You know, those kinds of things before I got my own job. And it just really taught me classroom management. You know, you, you know, you have an expiration date. If you're subbing day to day, then you're really working on those people skills and building relationships. What do you think was one of the best lessons you learned in that time period of your teaching? I would have to agree with you with the classroom management. That was something that I really struggled with at the beginning of my student teaching. And like, I mean, I had my strategies, I had things that I tried and things that I had learned in college, but it's so much different when you get into that classroom. And, you know, so coming into student teaching, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this first. Nope, that's not working. So I probably tried 
um, I would say five or six different strategies while student teaching. And I, I always had a good handle on the class. It wasn't out of control by any means. But then like going to subbing, you really have to, you know, you have to learn how to manage those kids in a matter of seconds. When they walk in that door and they don't know your face, you have to learn how to manage it real quick. So I think that was probably the biggest thing that I learned while I was subbing. That's awesome. And you know, you're getting tossed out without that life preserver because the principal is just glad you showed up with a heartbeat that day and (laughs) (laughs) make sure those kids are learning and you don't have a student, you know, you're not have a supervising teacher looking over your shoulder. (laughs) It's you're it baby. Right. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I love it. So I mentioned to the listeners that I'm very biased. Of course I have a deep connection with Miss Callie Nelson. I want to make sure listeners, you heard about that before we get too far into our interview, because when I picture Callie, I'm actually, of course, I'm so proud of you. And just listening to you speak about your education, your background is so beautiful to me, but I'm picturing you as this beautiful, sweet little toddler with the most gorgeous curly blonde (laughs) hair, uh, with, you know, any possible smile on your face, because this is my niece, ladies and gentlemen, Callie is my sister's daughter. And I've known you since the moment you were born. And I've loved you ever since. You're supposed to say, yep, me too, auntie. (laughs) Yep, me too, auntie. (laughs) So what a gift, because one of the memories that I wanted to share with the listeners, because I like to visualize this a lot, is when I went off to college, Callie, so like you were a toddler, right? And I just remember we, you know, got myself all moved into college. And then I looked, I remember just that moment when you're left behind or your family heads off and you're in this independent life. And there's this feeling of loneliness that you only experience a few times in your life when people leave, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is really true. And it took you about as long to get down the stairs and you went out, everybody, my parents, they had you that, that time around and you turned around and I'll never forget you looking up and waving up at me (laughs) from my fourth floor dorm. And I just bawled like a baby afterward thinking, how am I going to live without my family? And here we are now, all these years later, oh my goodness, over 20 years later, and you are an educator as well. And I didn't even have that on my trajectory at that time. I was going to be a broadcast journalist, but we get to be the educators in the family. That's kind of cool. It is really cool to share that connection. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super curious, Callie, what got you interested in becoming a teacher? I really, I struggle with this answer because a lot of teachers say, you know, I wanted to be a teacher my entire life. That's what I hear all the time. I wanted to be a teacher my entire life. I've known since I was four years old that I wanted to be a teacher. And I didn't really have that, like that moment where like, this is what I want to do. You know, my sister and I played teacher and I was always the teacher. So I guess maybe that was like a giveaway. But my whole life, I never thought about it. And then it comes time to pick a school and pick a career path. And I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do. And so, you know, I went for my general education and Mm. then I ended up being friends with a couple of the education majors and they're like, Hey, this is really cool. We get to go like hang out in these schools and teach these kids all these things, you know? And I'm like, that actually sounds (laughs) kind of fun. And I've worked at daycares all my life and my mom has done daycare all my life. And so I think it just kind of fell into place And it has always been my career path without me knowing it. So it just kind of like fell into my lap my third year of college, second year of college. 
I think that's so cool to hear from your perspective because I don't know if we really talked about it very much. And I, for some reason, can't really remember those years where it was fuzzy for you because I've, I've just thought of you so much in this space. And when you mention, you know, your mom being in a daycare, she's an in-home daycare provider who also is like the most amazing daycare mom and probably mom ever. Should we just shout her out right now? Because you know oh, we should. For sure. <laughs> we should. Yeah. She is the best mom in the whole world. She absolutely is. And and she's a natural educator, though she would never put that label on herself. But, you know, I'm seven years younger than her and she, you know, taught me all kinds of things, which we won't share on this podcast, <laughs> but, but definitely an educator, like a natural loving educator. And I've seen that in you your whole life. You know, I've, I've watched you grow up and I've watched you at family events, take care of other kids and just be present and you know, I've watched you, you're, you're a godmother for my youngest child because you have this really beautiful affinity and love for kids. And maybe you didn't see that in yourself. And sometimes some days maybe you don't feel it, <laughs> but <laughs> it's definitely something that is visible in you. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess I just never, like, it was never something that I had thought about. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? But when my thought was like, I'm going to be a professional dancer, that's not realistic. I'm going to be a teacher. Sounds way more realistic. And I love it. So for sure. And the other piece is I, w- I want to talk a little bit about your journey because I know that your pre-service education, it was a little, I don't want to say rocky, but do you want to talk a little bit about the program and maybe some of the experiences you had just trying to make sure that you could select the right licensure and all of that? Yeah. yeah. So I ended up choosing um, education. I think it was the end of my second year of college is when I finally decided this is what I'm going to do. And so, you know, it was a whole thing to get um, signed up and my major changed. And I went through, I don't know, probably like five or six counselors before we could figure out how to do it. And so then at the start, I want to say it was my second semester of my second year. That's when I actually got to start my classes, you know. So then um, clinicals and all that fun stuff. And I ended up taking an intro to algebra class just for fun because I had, I've always had this (laughs) for fun. I've always had this love for math. And so I decided I was going to take this intro to algebra class because I needed an extra three credits for the semester. And I couldn't take one of the classes that I need till the next semester. So I take this class and this teacher she just has everybody rolling the whole time and she's the most fun teacher ever. And you know. did you just say a pre-algebra teacher was funny? Yeah, she was pretty funny. She's more of like a sarcastic kind of funny. I don't know, not like outright funny, but <laughs> I love that. You're just like shattering the paradigm of math teachers. Although I've worked with some pretty hilarious math teachers now that I think about it. I just showed my own bias. <laughs> I think... I don't know. I think all the math teachers that I've had are always fun. So maybe that's why I enjoy math so much. But so this, this teacher comes up to me, this professor comes up to me and she says, what is your major? And I told her I was education. She's like, you need to add um, middle level math to that. You're going to be teaching middle school math too. (laughs) And I was like, okay, uh, you, okay. (laughs) So I did, I, I didn't even question it. I just did it. And so I start taking all these middle level math classes and I am in love with it. And like, yep, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I will be teaching middle school math for the rest of my life. That 
is just how it landed. That is awesome. I absolutely love it. So math trained, math interested, but you also started out saying that you're fifth grade and you're teaching all of it. So let's kind of journey into this. Todd, this is your third year. You had the subbing experience. You had it one year last year. And what was the context of that? You were fifth grade, just math last year? Or what, what did you have going on? Yep. So last year, um, I joined a team, actually two people, two of us joined a team. So there was actually just one left and everybody else had either moved to a different grade or, um, moved to a different school completely. So, um, myself and then another teacher joined this team and this team had always done, um, departmentalizing and we decided together as a team that we would continue that. And it kind of just fit perfectly because the other teacher that got hired that year, she loved reading. And then when I got hired, they were like, Hey, do you like math? Because that's what you're going to (laughs) teach. So, and I was like, it kind of fit perfect for us. So last year I taught strictly math and it was amazing because, you know, they're at, they're close to that middle school level. So I got to teach that higher, um, math level And so I kind of got the best of both worlds because I still got to be in elementary and teach math. But this year with COVID, we have a little bit of a issue with that. So we're just upsetting the apple cart and we are teaching everything. So I'm curious about, you know, we're a couple of weeks into this. What does, not only you're teaching all the content, what does the mode of delivery look like right now during COVID for you? We're fully face-to-face in our district and at the elementary level. So we pretty much our classrooms, we are trying to socially distance the best we can, but my, my classroom's not huge. So we do the best we can and I keep those kids apart. We wear our masks and when we stand up front and teach, we can wear, you know, our shields, but we wear our masks all day. And, you know, that's been rough for some of the kids, but they have done an amazing job. And I'm so proud of them. Yeah. So I don't know. It's been, I would say, fairly normal besides the social distancing and the masks. But yeah, fairly normal. Now, so you're in Minnesota. And of course, we know everybody listening to this podcast from different locations. So I'm super curious. Did you, does your students have options for virtual or did you just go straight up face to face? How did that work? Yeah. So we actually, um, teachers and students were given the option to do distance learning. So um, they can opt out, kids can opt out until the start of the next try or trimester. So um, that'll be like November 19th. So they, once they choose distance learning, they're with a distance learning teacher within the district till that November 19th or whatever day that is, I don't know. But then they can still opt to stay until the beginning of the next try or until the end of the year. So you know, it's looking different for everybody, but once they choose that distance, they can't come back to face to face until that deadline. So then our middle school and our high school are actually doing hybrid, a hybrid model. Okay. Well, that's, so that's interesting. It just gives me a little good context there. All right. So you're teaching all the content areas, any fun surprises this year for you? Any celebrations that you'd like to share? Honestly, I have really enjoyed teaching the reading. And I did not think I was going to like it. I thought I was like, oh, this is going to be really hard. Like I'm not, not the best at teaching reading, but I'm going to do my best for these kids because they deserve it. And 
I have honestly, I have really enjoyed it and I love teaching science, but that's always been there. So that's just so cool to hear. So what I'm hearing is that you had a self-limiting belief that you couldn't teach reading, but you're finding yourself enjoying it, which is really, I just am excited to hear that from you. And I believe, I really believe this to the very core. I know we have to have some good content background, but a good teacher can teach anything. Told you I taught science. Come on. You and I are opposites in our content areas. Like we are. <laughs> social studies in ELA any day. <laughs> right? yep. That's awesome. But yeah, it's so cool to just kind of hear that flexibility in you too, because we tell ourselves that we can't do something. Uh, but then, you know, every, as everybody knows, everybody on the planet right now. And then, you know, here in the United States in our school systems, we know that nothing is looking the same as it once did, you know, on a, on a broad scale. And so even though you said you have mm-hmm. face-to-face and you're doing social distancing, there's still a different way, you know, a different approach that's happening. And you also know that, you know, if school has to close, then you know that that's shifting too. I'm curious, right. did you have any, have you been given any preparation in your district for what it, what that looks like in case we close up like we did back in March or not? Uh, so we have to be prepared to teach in all three modes. So distance, hybrid, and face-to-face. So we've kind of been preparing our lessons um, so that if we do go distance, they're already online and the kids already know how to access them. But that's really the only preparation we've done at this point. Last year was your first full on, like this is Mrs. Ms. Nelson's classroom <laughs> from start to finish. Can you just share a little bit about your experience in regard to the fact that here you are first year, you never really got a chance to close it out the way that typically happens. You want to talk about your experience with COVID in the beginning stages? Yeah. So it was... I mean, my, for everybody's first year is a tough year. It was a tough year. There was a lot of um, things that I I got to learn, and there was a lot of things that um, my my colleagues also got to learn along with me. Um, but so ending, we I mean, we ended up on March whatever March thirteenth. We're having this fun day. Um, we were celebrating Pi Day, actually, March 14th, you know, 3.14. Of course. Oh, my goodness. Yes. In in math. <laughs> so we're like, and I, I maybe was totally oblivious to the news, but other people were like talking about it and, but I just wasn't thinking about it. So we're like decorating my room with all these cool pie decorations and eating pie and, you know, and then on Saturday there was this big announcement and absolutely no closure. I came back to school on Monday, just the staff. And it was such an emotional, like eerie feeling. I I walked into the school, you know, uh, no kids there. I walk into my classroom and it's still decorated from Pi Day, but the kids don't get to come back in. And I was super, super emotional about that. I cried. We went in only until Wednesday. I cried probably every single day, the whole day. And because I just felt so bad for these kids, like they have no closure and I have no closure. And these kids were making such progress. And I was so excited to finish out the year with them and see where they ended up. And we didn't get that. So, you know, we got that virtually. We got to we still got to see them virtually and we still got to say goodbye to them virtually, but we didn't, I don't know. It just isn't the same. Yeah. It's not the same. I don't, I don't know if I ever got to, it makes me sad because I realized that I lacked 
awareness that I should have been contacting you during that time. Like we had so much going on here, you know, obviously my husband's a teacher and we had the girls home and we had our own um, things happening, but I just feel bad that I, I should have reached out to you more, you know, to put my arm on your, around your shoulder, because I know that that is emotional. It doesn't matter. You know, you said a challenging year. I am certain that there were things that were layered under there that we don't need to peel apart because everybody's first year in a new organization, in a new setting, in a new team with a new batch of students, man, there's so much there, but you can just tell your heart was right in that for your students. And I'm, thank you for sharing that emotion because I don't know if enough people have processed how hard that was for educators to not just pivot to be able to instruct differently, but we build such connections with our people, don't we? Yeah. And they, I mean, I still like, I got email probably like four or five emails this week from kids from last year. How are you doing? Do you get to be at school? I miss being in fifth grade. I'm so sad we didn't get closure. I need to come visit. And you know, like they crave that closure and they crave that connection as well. And since they don't get to be full on face to face, like they're only going to school every other day, two days a week. So they're like craving this connection and this attention. And we had such a good thing going in the classroom with that connection and the relationships. And they were so strong by that time. And then it was just like they crumbled because we couldn't see each other as much as we used to. And we couldn't do our daily circle and talk about what happened this weekend, what happened yesterday, you know? And yeah, just really tough on them. Yeah. And you know, like we, obviously we know that the world has changed. We need to pivot. I know you reference that you're face to face and not a lot has changed. It's so different from, obviously, you know, I mean, our girls are home. You're hanging out with their mom all day, poor kids, my goodness. <laughs> and that's what they, they're stuck with this all day long. And, you know, my oldest being a fifth grader, everything that you're describing is so real. You know, it's just, just very real, but it's interesting to me too, because I know that we've all had to learn, you know, I, I teach classes for master's level learners. And some of those things are just so secondhand to us in terms of building connections. You didn't realize how easy we had it (laughs) when we could be in proximity, right? Like, I'm sure that's why it feels good to you to have the kids in masks, you know, but I guess I'm curious, what do you think, was positive or if you perceive that, you know, there's a reason that you'll have to shut down for any part of time or, or whatever, what is a benefit that you found from the online or the distance learning that you were able to do? I think it was a lot easier on the kids, um, to be distance, not like connection wise, obviously, but, um, it was easier because they had the flexibility to do things when they wanted to do them. And, you know, if they weren't feeling like, "Mm, I just don't think I can do the whole math lesson today. Well, guess what? I get to watch the other half tomorrow. It was very personalized and digestible. It was so easy for them to pick and choose when they wanted to do it as long as they did it within the week, you know. And so I think that was probably the most positive, especially for the kids that I had last year. That was like a, a really big thing for them they thrived on distance learning. That's so cool. And so I'm glad that you pointed that out because, you know, remembering what that was like for our home, even though, you know, we thought, well, it could have been 
oh boy, I'm sure families thought they could be a little more rigorous, but I'm just telling you on the other end of things where we have virtual right now, where it's not, it's not actually led by a district teacher. It is a full on virtual program and we are not having a successful feeling with our sixth grader right now with math. I was, I should have texted you because we're trying to figure greatest common factor and the amount of content that she's blowing through right now Mm -hmm. without a Mm -hmm. connection with a teacher is really hard. And I mean, we just (laughs) confessed I'm the ELA person, not the math, right? But even the ELA is a struggle. So, um, you know, there's really something to be said about being able to offer personalized, engaging learning from teachers at a distance. You know, it. Right. I feel like we're in a whole new chapter of education if we just choose to embrace the good parts of it. So I, you know, I love that you bring up personalization. You know, when I think about it in, in terms of the mode of delivery that I have with my classes, I, I feel like we're in a good spot because we don't have to travel and give up, you know, an hour of driving Saturdays to classes, there's that give and take, but it does still lack something, but man, like with zoom and you can do breakout rooms, you can pop in there and have conversations. There's just so much opportunity to build some autonomy with our young learners too, in that space. So it's gotta be exciting. And I love that you're at the front end of your career where you can, you know, you can see where, things may go and that you'll be able to shift and pivot into that. And I'm excited to see what, you know, like what does 10 years look like from now for you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, education is ever changing. Like this is just, this is just something new. And when I, I think back to like when I was in school, I was just talking about this with a colleague yesterday. And she was saying, do you remember when they used to roll those TVs in and we watched like the, the teachers would like pop in a movie, whatever, you know? So we're talking about like when we were in school and I think about how different, not just with COVID, but like how different school is. We even at the beginning of last year, like how much technology these kids have at their fingertips, the resources they have. It's just so different. And it's so exciting because there's so much they can do now. And like, it's still growing. Mm -hmm. So that's really, it's really exciting to me because I don't know that just the learning is just exciting. I love hearing that from you. And that's why I love having you here in the series on youth. You're going to actually be the oldest youth that I have featured. You're still really (laughs) young. Let's just be honest. Um, But I love hearing that from you because it's just a really good vision of how we really should be embracing that because the education system is, I'm sorry, a dinosaur. And I can say that after having been in it for as long as I have been and the slow change that happens where I'm, I'm not happy that COVID happened at all, but I am happy that it's forced some systems, some subsystems within the greater system to take a look at how we do things and some of these arcane practices that we don't need to hold on to anymore. Like we can just let them die and go the way of the dodo bird, right? Like, so I agree with you, the technology, even just in the span of when you started versus even when I started, I mean, man, I had a chalkboard (laughs) and I started what 15 (laughs) years ago. That's not that long ago. You know, um, (laughs) I know. 
I can't believe I just said that, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's hyper change. That's a hyper change world that we're living in and trying to find a way to manage that and to keep up with it. And remember that, you know, again, going back to it though, strong instructional practices will always be strong instructional practices. We may just deliver them in a different mode and a different engagement, um, space, but, but we always still know those educators are always still going to be needed. We just need to learn to be flexible. So it's good. It's good. Yep. Okay. Well, my lovely, lovely niece, I am just, I'm so proud of you. There's so many things that I'm proud of you. I, I can't believe I get to be your aunt. Honestly, there, I'm just, I don't get to tell you that enough. It's been such a joy watching you grow up and, you know, watching, being able to see you in shows over the years and you're dancing and all of your passions and seeing who you've become as this young, beautiful woman with the biggest heart. And so I'm just curious, what is something that you are really proud of in your own journey? Honestly, I really struggle talking about like my own accomplishments. You know, we we talked about this, but I struggle talking like about myself and I have a really hard time answering questions like this. But at this point in my life, I'm so proud of how it's turning out. And I'm so proud of how happy I am because I really struggled with like happiness in college. And I went through a lot of changes, a lot of big changes in a very pivotal time in my life. And just that like seeing my looking back on myself and seeing how much I've grown since then is what I'm really proud of. That's awesome. And I love, you know, you're a young, beautiful woman with a bright mind and strong sense of family and commitment and service. And so I just can't wait to see who you continue to become, but I'm proud that you, I'm proud of you for saying that. I really am. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And you know, one of the things that, because I know about you, I wanted to say that I think sometimes our efficacy is tied to the weirdest markers. And I know when I'm thinking back about when you were thinking about school and, you know, myself included, these standardized tests can be a struggle, can be a challenge. I don't know. We don't need to get into that too much, but I just, I think that there are so many struggles and stumbling blocks that you've been able to overcome that have led you to a space of persevering that is going to be grand. And I know that somebody has poured into you. And I'm just curious, I'm asking you this fresh on the podcast, but at one point somebody had told you that you should become a principal. So is that ever in your mind? Does that ever play? Or are you, what are you thinking about that? I do think about it. And for a really long time, I have been saying, I'm going to teach for 10 years and then I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to become a principal. I've been saying that probably for the last three years, maybe four. (laughs) After being in schools for now two years three years now I'm like watching my my administrators and I'm like you do a lot and you are really good at what you do and I don't know if I could do that (laughs) because that's that's a lot. Yeah. And there's no year like now when you're watching them, honestly, in this space. But I'm going to tell you what, we're going to keep having this conversation because we the schools need good leaders, need big hearted leaders, good thinkers, amazing communicators, and you're all of those. So we'll table that one. Well, thank you. Yes, we, we can table it. We'll talk about it another time. <laughs> Sounds 10 good. years from now. I love it. I love it. All right, my friend. Well, let's make sure that we get to those two standard questions. So the first one I always ask is if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? So I kind of mentioned before, um, talking about, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I wanted to go to school. And 
if I could write a letter to my former self, I would probably write back to myself as a fresh high school senior. And I, there's just so much that I would say to myself. Uh, I would tell myself to do more research on school, like college and about finances and student loans. When the time came for me to choose that college career path or college path, I applied to maybe five schools. I toured a couple, applied to five schools and acceptance letters from all the schools, but I got an acceptance letter from Winona State. Never had been there. Didn't even know what where Winona was. Just applied to it because I was like, well, I need to apply to one more college. Got accepted. And when I got the acceptance letter, I did a ton of research and I was like, yep, I'm going there. Never had been there. And still keep in mind, still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I was choosing a state university and I really wish that I knew what, what I was getting myself into with, I mean, that those finances with the university, you have to pay for everything so much. And I, so I couldn't pay for it out of pocket. So then student loans and now here I am so many years later and I'm in so much debt for, I don't know, three years of general education before I even knew what I was going to do. And I really wish that I could write back to myself and say, go to a community college for your general education and transfer and into your program. And that is what I would, (laughs) that's what I would tell my high school senior self, because that is probably one of the, one of my biggest regrets or mistakes. I'm not really sure. I mean, I really did cherish my time at Winona. It's just the the money and the school that I chose. I had a lot of, it was very far away and I really struggled with that. So I'm curious, and just as a follow-up, what do you think made you not do the community college route? What, what do you think in your background and preparation drove you that direction? I never thought it was an option. I, it didn't even, it never crossed my mind. It, nobody ever brought it up to me. Um, I I really don't feel like I was guided in a way that taught me any of these things in high school, where I know like now they're a lot better about it and they do teach you these things. Um, But I don't really feel like I had any guidance of, um, hey, you can do this first because that's going to be a lot cheaper for you in the long run. But it was never, (laughs) it was never even like a a thought in my mind, I was like, nope, I have to go to a state school. Is that, and when I think about it from the education system standpoint, we've had such a push to be, okay, we need to help students be college and career ready. And I know that's one of the things you talk about is like, we're, we're pushing kids to college, but at what cost, you know, there's so much attrition there. And so why aren't we having students explore? And so that's something that I saw implemented here within the last five, six years, which has been a major push in Wisconsin to say, you know, we're going to explore to, you know, both paths. And we're going to look at all these options instead of just always saying, you got to get ready for college, you know, cause that's not accurate for everyone. Well, how about this one? Um, if somebody's listening and they find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it? Ms. Kelly? Well, I would have to say, I think that a lot of young women nowadays think that 
you know, there's that need to be in a relationship and the need like for love and you need to be in a relationship to be stable. And this is something I really, really struggled with, um, in high school and college. I thought that I had to be in a relationship to be happy. And I saw all my friends in these relationships and it made me so jealous and just like long for that connection. When in reality, I just needed to accept myself and better myself and make myself happy um, instead of like constantly searching and pining and waiting, you know. And one day that just clicked in my head. I was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to make myself happy. I Nobody else can make me happy besides me. Like, this is my job. And I worked my butt off and I finished school and... I became the best version of myself at the time. And I think that's something that's really important. You know, you have to be the best version of yourself to be ready for someone else's best version of themselves for you to be able to connect. And so, you know, I uh, worked on myself and I learned who I was by myself and I learned how to be independent, which was such a great opportunity. And it shaped me into the person that I am. And it shaped my relationship into an amazing relationship that I have right now. And I wouldn't change a thing. So work on yourself and learn how to make yourself happy before you look for that in someone else. I love that advice, Callie, because I think that it's universal. So even if, you know, a listener is not in that stage of searching, (laughs) even if they're in a relationship now, your words can still ring to every single one of us. And that's really beautiful. And I also want to take an opportunity to pour into you and say, you know, it's interesting to hear that perspective of that pining and that longing. I think that's just developmentally normal. But I also was always so inspired and in awe of you as a person who never seemed to have that need in the way that it was presented on the outside because remember I've you know been privy to your life for all of this time and I just remember always loving the fact that you're like you didn't have a boyfriend clinging on you at family events and you know it, it's just kind of been a beautiful thing to see in you and so I love that you pinpoint that as being something that you're proud of and that <clears throat> you had to overcome but that you're you know that you have this great wisdom and you are in this beautiful relationship that I'm you know, I love for you that's really great advice so thank you for sharing that I love it All right. So Callie, if we have listeners that are interested in in making a connection with you after this interview, is there a way that you would recommend that they get in touch with you? Uh, You can go to my Twitter, which is Miss Callie Nelson. It's my professional Twitter, which has been dormant for quite some time. So that's one place you can go at my Twitter or you can follow me on Instagram. If you want to see cute pictures of my dog uh, at Callie underscore Nelson. Awesome. I will be sure to link those in the show notes because I'm sure listeners will want to definitely connect. Um, and Callie, I'm just so grateful that you you would say yes to letting me amplify you. You know, <laughs> I just adore you. And I know my listeners are going to love hearing from you. And it's just been such a great, we don't spend time talking enough about your professional life. And I have loved every single minute of this interview. So thank you for choosing to take the leap with me and be on my show. Yes, of course. I wish we had more time. Yay. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you too. 
I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.